0: And as our kids are making uh, their way to their classes this morning, I want to say good morning to you, welcome. Uh, My name is Steve, I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite, and I'm really happy that you guys can be with us uh, this morning as we gather together. Um, Before we jump into the message, I just want to say this, because this is something that really motivates me and gets me excited every week before I come and we open God's Word and we talk about what it says, and that is this, God wants to speak to you today, isn't that an incredible truth, that God wants to speak to us today? We, he gave us his word so that he can, that we can open it up and that he can speak to us by way of his Holy Spirit through his word. And it's just an amazing thing to know that we're gathered here, you're not here uh, by accident, and that today, whatever you've been going through, or whatever it is that, that you've been leaning on, or whatever it is that, that, uh, that's been happening this week, that we've gathered here together for a purpose. And that God, uh, something in the music that we sing, something in the words that are spoken, some, something that's going to happen between an interaction between you and someone else within the church, you're going to be like, That's what I needed today. And, and sometimes it's comforting, sometimes it's challenging. Um, it's a number of these different things, but God wants to speak to us today. And that is an amazing thing. Um, and that's why I have so much anticipation when we open up God's Word. Because we're in the book of Matthew uh, this morning. We, we've been in the book of Matthew for a while. Now we're making our way through the whole thing. Um, and uh, right now we're in this section um, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, was an eyewitness to what Jesus uh, did, and all the miracles, and the resurrection, all those things. Jesus, uh, Matthew was an eyewitness to all of that, and Matthew wrote down the, the account of the life of Jesus. He's one of four people that would do so, and, uh, and he's writing the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is Jesus' most famous sermon uh, that, that he preached, this is the one that we have recorded, and we're right in the middle of it, and what we've seen so far in the sermon is this, is that Jesus is a king. And that the kingdom of heaven um, doesn't look like any other kingdom that we've ever experienced. Okay, so when we think about kingdoms and authorities and governing systems and countries that we have in the world, we have to understand that we live in a world that's been broken and marred by sin and, and all these different things. The kingdom of heaven is pure and holy and unlike anything we've ever seen. And his kingdom, because it's like unlike anything we've ever seen, it's almost like it's an upside down kingdom for us. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make sense for us, but Jesus is explaining what his kingdom is like. And he talks about how his kingdom, when we become followers of Jesus, we become citizens of that kingdom and we're to live amb- as like ambassadors in this world uh, for his kingdom, which means that we will live a life that's distinct. It'll be different. Uh, he talks about being like salt or light, um, the idea of like shining into things or, or drawing things out. Um, we are called to live distinct lives and that his kingdom is really a kingdom of the heart. It's a matter of, it's not just behavior modification, okay? It's not just about uh, like following the rules um, just physically and that's it. And Last week we saw how that Pastor Chase talked to us about how it's matters of the heart when it comes to anger and lust and marriage and taking oaths and retaliation and your enemies and how we're supposed to do that. And we also saw how what's amazing about this is that this kingdom is perfect and that none of us, none of us um, are able to keep the commands of the kingdom of heaven, that none of us can attain perfection and therefore make our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We're all lawbreakers even as we come in. And what happens is, and this, is what, this would be the human thing to do, if no one can attain the level by which we, uh, by the standard, then what we would do is we would lower the standard. Okay? Like, that's the human thing to do. Like, okay, nobody obviously can get this, so let's lower the standard, let's modify the standard, let's give a little helpful hints, let's relax a little bit here, and then more people will be able to come in. Jesus doesn't lower the standard. In fact, the standard that we had in our mind was actually lower than what God had because it wasn't just about actions. It was about attitudes and motives, right? And so suddenly, like you go, realize that the standard for heaven we thought was high already is actually higher than we thought. And God doesn't relax the standard. He he elevates it and shows us where we are all going to fall short. And instead of just leaving us there saying, sorry, nobody can come in, What he does is he lives the perfect life for us on our behalf and credits to our life his clean record, his righteousness. That's what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just abolish the law. He shows us the true meaning of it, fulfills it, and then gives that to our lives as a credit so that we can enter the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thing. And if God is going to do that, God's going to adopt us into his family, if God's going to welcome us into his kingdom, then we should listen to him when it comes to all areas of our life in the here and now, including our rhythms of our life, the rhythms of our life. And the main thought today is really this, let the rhythms of your life be shaped by the giver of life. Let the rhythms of life be shaped by the giver of life. And we think about devotion to God, and we think about if you're going to do like a man on the street interview, or you're going to do something, you'd be like, okay, what do religious people do, right? Or, or what, if someone's devoted to something, or someone, someone's devoted to God, what would they do? And you'd be like, well, I, I mean, I suppose they'd probably, you know, maybe give to the poor. It seems like a good thing that a religious person would do, Someone's devoted to God. Maybe they'd pray. Um, I'm sure they do that. Um... You know, maybe, uh, maybe, even, maybe they would even fast. You know, maybe they would go without food for a time. You know, like maybe these, some of these things are part of the rhythms of what they would be doing. And what we're gonna see today is that Jesus talks about these rhythms, but also the reason behind it. Because if you go to church, or you read your Bible, or you pray, or you give to the needy, or you fast, why do you do those things? Why do you do them? What's the motivation And what is to be gained out of that? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the rhythms of your life and the heart behind it. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew, surprise, um, uh, chapter six, uh, starting in verse one. And that's where we're going to to kick it off. Jesus talking, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. First, I'm just going to stop right there for, for a second. That's incredible. Jesus says, he, he just said, you know, if you have anger in your heart, it's like you've already murdered them. If you have lust in your heart, it's like you've already committed adultery. And he talks about you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you need to, you need to exceed that of the righteousness of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. And then he goes on and he talks about this. He's like, one, you can't fulfill, fulfill it, but also, two, you need to understand that Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. you got to be careful, Jesus tells us, you need to be careful of why it is you're doing what you're doing. If you're practicing your righteousness, if if you're doing right things, if these spiritual rhythms of your life are going out, why are you doing them? Because if you're doing them just to be seen by other people, if that's, why you, if, that's the, if that's the reason why you're doing these things, then you have to understand that you'll receive no reward from your Father who's in heaven. He's not impressed. If you pray to be seen by other people, if you give to be seen by other people, if you fast to be seen by other people, God's not impressed. And he's like, you, you want a reward, okay, you got your reward from the people around you. So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. And then he goes on to these things. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you give, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is just a really interesting thing, okay? So he says, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, okay? Um, I don't know how many car- guys carry around a trumpet before you're giving. Um, just leave that at home. But also, too, I just think about, like, what's the, what's the contextual, what, like, in the, in the modern day, like, what is the equivalent of sounding a trumpet, right? How many videos are we gonna put up of us doing amazing things, right? Of giving to the needy. That's, that's what I say is like, like I just, I can't imagine like going, doo, 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 doo. give it some money. People are like, oh, beautiful, beautiful, right? Like it's just amazing that they would sound a trumpet or they would, or you know like, we're, we, this, is, this is someone who's in need. You ever been in need? Have you ever been in a place in need? You know what that feels like? Could you imagine being put on display Right? I'm giving money to this poor sap right here. Isn't that awesome how amazing I am? Like, what does that do for the person right there? And God's like, yeah, I'm not impressed by that. That that, that doesn't, like, you know, people are like, oh, he's incredible. And you're like, oh, no, really, it's just, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Please stop. Please stop. Please just stop. Right? And he says, it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. It's to be a hypocrite. Now, the original term hypocrite meant to be an actor who wore a mask. Okay, that's what hypocrites were, the original sense. is Someone who's a hypocrite, they were, a, they were an actor in the theater of that day, and what they would do is they would put on a mask and be someone that they weren't actually. Okay, so they would pretend to be someone else. And so in the truest sense, like last Thursday, we had tons of hypocrites just running the streets, right? Little ankle-biter hypocrites just... You know, grabbing candy, right? Because they were wearing a mask. They were, they were pretending to be someone that they weren't. And he says, listen, if you're going to do that on the theater stage, okay, but if you're going to do this in my name, that's not a good thing. If you're a hypocrite, what you're saying is, is I'm doing this all for the Lord, but that's just a mask because you're doing it for yourself, he says, the hypocrites, they love to do that in the synagogues, which is kind of like the local church of the day, and, and, uh, and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say that they've already received their reward. They've already received it. You do that for the worship of yourself, you do that for the worship of, the, of your God, of people, and the opinions of others, they say, good job, that's your reward. You already got it. You want the reward from the Father? That's not how you do it. If you want to hear well done by the father, he says, that's not how you do it. He says, when you you give to the needy, if you really want to give to the needy and you really want to do this to connect with the father, then what you're going to do is you're not going to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Meaning, we're we're not going to put together a trail so that people can find it, so that people can find you. He says, do these things in secret. Don't make a big show of it. Have you ever done something really, really good? Have you ever been very, very generous? And in that moment, there's this tremendous amount of joy of being generous, followed by a panic that no one's gonna know how generous you were. You ever had that moment where you're like, this is, oh, I love this. This is so cool to be generous. I love this. I hope, oh man, I wish somebody was here to see it. Like, I want, I want somebody to know how awesome a job I just did. Like, where's my trumpet, right? Like, that's, that's what we're looking for in that moment. But he says, listen, don't, If that's your motive, then go ahead and give to the poor and let people praise you, because that's your reward. But if you want something from the Father, he says, do these things without making a big deal of it. Do these things, and your Father, who sees what you're doing in secret, he'll bless you, and he'll see you. Have you ever had the moment where you've been able to help somebody and you realize it wasn't about you? One, and you thank the Lord because one, he gave you the resources, whether it be time, talent, or treasure, to be able to help somebody and also to be able to protect the dignity of the person that you're helping. It's a very difficult thing for human beings to ask for help. And it's a very difficult thing for us to realize that we need it. Now, is there some kind of pride in there, yeah, but there's also just this real fear, right? And to go, someone will come along and help you in secret and in private, learn a skill, give you the money that you need, help you figure this out, and you go, thank you so much not only for helping me but also for protecting me in some way. What a blessing that is. And those are the things that the Lord says, well done. You don't need fanfare, you don't need a parade, you don't need a trumpet. He says, I see what you're doing. And that's incredible. He goes on. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, when you go to pray, you don't have to stand up there and talk about how amazing, you're like, have you ever been praying and in the middle of praying, going, man, I hope people are listening to this because this is gold. Like, if you ever had that moment? You're like, oh, that was so good. Did you hear that? Did you, oh, hold on, just hold on God for a second. Did you guys hear that? That was amazing. That was amazing. He says, don't do that. Why are you praying to think that you're going to impress me? Why are you thinking that you're going to impress other people? It's like, if you are praying to impress other people, you've received your reward. Now, this comes to question of like, well, what about public prayer? Like What about public prayer? Like There's stuff in the scriptures. We see it in church all the time. We've already done it once today. We're going to do it again later on the service. What do we do with public prayer? He says, are you praying to be seen by others, or are you praying to me? Like Because collectively, we can pray together to the Lord. And if one person's praying out, then our job is the, to the person who's praying, like our job is to listen to them to listen to the words and go, yes, Lord, I agree with this, I agree with this. And at the end, if we do agree, we're to say amen. The word amen means I agree. Okay? So, like, if you, if you were not paying attention to someone's prayer, and then at the end you're like, amen, God's like, well, amen to what? And you're like, oh, pff, um, hmm. Did you pray about the Vikings winning? Because that's what I was praying for. Like, that was what I was thinking. So Our job, if we're we're praying collectively, is if someone's praying out to listen, and if they're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. Amen. I want that for me too, Lord. I I agree with what he's saying. Amen. Amen. Or go have a private conversation with your father. How incredible is our God that if we want to talk to him in private, he will take the time and listen to us. Does that not astound you? Like, have you ever met someone famous and come up and go, hey, I got a question, but you know what? I'd love to talk to you in private for a little while. Would you do that for me? And they go, oh, absolutely. Hold on, everybody. I'm just gonna speak in private with this person. Like, the God of the universe happily will sit with you in private and talk to you and listen to you. We would do well to take advantage of this. We would do well To go, absolutely, yes, Lord, I would love to talk to you in private about some things. Because I have some things on my heart. And then verse seven says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse seven, honestly, guys, it's like one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love this verse. I kind of just smirk every time I read it. And don't, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. When I was younger and I was reading a different translation of the Bible, it says, don't babble on like the pagans who believe they impress God with their many words. I love that. I love that about God, and I love that just like, like I don't have to babble on and on and on and on so that God will be impressed with me. That God will be impressed with me. Well, I have to answer his prayer now. You hear how long that went? man it has got a, that was impressive. And listen, um, if you pray in Shakespearean English so that you're heard by God, that's a bad avenue, okay? So if you have a, like a language, and listen, if you're talking to God going, hey, you know what, I reserve words like thee and thine and beseech, like I use those words when I pray and I wanna connect with my Father, cool. But if you're like thinking that you're gonna impress God, but you stand up going, well Lord, Thou art worthy of thine praise. Right, like if like, like, you think that you're just gonna go on and on and on and God's somehow gonna be impressed with that, he says don't, he says just stop. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who went on and on and used big words, not because that was part of their uh, regular pattern of speech but because they were trying to impress people around them? You ever had that moment where somebody's just like, mm, mm, mm. it's usually like in philosophy 110. It's kind of when it happens, but. Like someone's just trying to, like it's just, just obvious that someone's trying to impress and you're like, I'm not impressed. God feels the same way. It's like, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by that. with People like go on and on and it's not part of their vernacular. It's a word I learned this week, so I wanted to use it. He says, don't go on and on. He says, in fact, in fact, when you pray, Going to church, maybe if you were ever part of a Sunday school class or something like that, you heard, and you were maybe, um, you were required to learn this prayer called the Lord's Prayer, okay? This is the Lord's Prayer. This is, this is what we've talked, this is what we call it because it's the Lord who's teaching us, right? But here's what you need to know about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern of prayer. It's very, very helpful. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's the words of Jesus. It is not a special incantation or spell that you can cast that now God has to answer whatever you ask next, okay? That's not what the Lord's Prayer is. So it'd be like saying the Lord's Prayer and then going, and now, Lord, you gotta give me this brand new car and this great job. And the other up in heaven going, well, he did say the Lord's Prayer. What are you gonna do, right? Like, that's not how the Lord's Prayer works. That's not how the Lord's Prayer works. So he says, but when you pray, pray like this. Pray like this. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be the name of God. Hallowed means special, sacred, set apart, something different. The only time that we really use hallowed right now in in our common uh, language and words is like when we talk about in sports or in war, right? These are hallowed grounds. These are the hallowed halls, right? This idea of like something significant happened here. God's name is hallowed, significant, special, weighty, set apart. And so when we pray and we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that automatically should should do something in our hearts and minds where we start to focus. Because something significant, someone significant is in our midst. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom come, not my will for this world and my life be done. This is a a prayer of submission to the authority of God, because his name is hallowed. And he says, God, I want your kingdom come. I want your will to be done. Do we long as a church, do we long um, for the kingdom of heaven to be here and the principles and the character and the king himself to be present here where there's no more guilt and there's no more pain and there's no more dying and there's no more injustice, but there's mercy and justice that will reign? Do we long for the day when the kingdom of heaven will be on this earth? He says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Give me today, Lord. Could you give me today what I need today to do what you have called me to do? Would you give me today what I need today to do what you've called me to do? Would you give me my daily bread? Would you nourish me and strengthen me? for what I'm about to pray next. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I need the strength of the Lord to forgive someone. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. These are the things that somebody owes us whether an injustice has been committed against us or they owe us something, we gave something, they never give back. Would you, God, would you give me the strength to forgive others our debts? Would you, would you remind me of how much you've forgiven me? Would you remind me of, much, of how much I'm forgiven and would you remind me again of how much you've forgiven me so that you can motivate me to go forgive others? If you've ever had to forgive someone of something, you understand that forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is very costly. Like if you owe me, if I gave you $20 with the understanding that you were gonna pay me back at a different time and you never did and I forgave your debt, I'm still out $20. Does that make sense? Like $20 doesn't just magically appear once the debt is forgiven, It's like, poof, I have more money. It doesn't happen. It cost me to forgive you. It cost me to forgive you. And forgiveness always is costly. It will cost us what we think that we deserve or what we do deserve. But here's the thing we have to remember. That Jesus' forgiveness of us cost him the cross. That's what it costs Jesus to forgive us. Let that motivate us as we forgive other people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, please do not lead me into temptation. We just sang a song where at the end of it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Right? This idea of like I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to wander off from God. Like if I if I'm just left to my own devices, I'm not gonna stay near God. Be like right? And I'm off, right? And he goes, I'm just prone to wander. My heart is prone to wander. And he says, that's why, like, my heart, Lord, he says, he said, you know, take my heart and 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 bind it to you like a fetter. A fetter is a is, a, is like a hitch, like, if, like between a wagon and a car, like the hitch is the fetter. So what he's saying is, is like, God, take my heart and bind it to you like a fetter. Lead me around like you would a trailer behind a semi. Like fetter my heart to you, Lord, because you lead and then I'll just follow because otherwise I'm gonna wander. And I'm gonna wander into temptation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna God, just lead me in the paths of righteousness. Lead me in the paths that lead to life. And when I wander, God, please deliver me from evil. Because I'll find it. Please, God, deliver me from evil. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Bitterness and unforgiveness reveal a lot about the position of our heart and what we understand about what Jesus has done for us. Because I'm gonna tell you, in in my lifetime, I have been offended and I have been wronged. And in my lifetime, I have offended other people and I have wronged other people. And listen, the stuff that's been done against me, some of those things are, are legitimate and I'm hurt by them because I've been like legitimately wronged and legitimately offended. But no one in this world has offended me and wronged me to the level in which I have offended or wronged God. That was a a huge moment before I realized that no one has wronged me as much as I have wronged God. No one has offended me as much as I have offended the God of the universe. No one in this world has done that. And that was a sobering moment when I realized okay, if I've offended God way more than anybody's ever offended me and he still forgave me at the cost of his life and I'm unwilling to forgive another person, do I understand what Jesus has done for me or do I think that I'm still God? says, listen, if you're gonna hold on to your bitterness and you're gonna hold on to that and you're, gonna, you're just gonna walk down that road, you're gonna end up walking away from the Lord because you're gonna insist that you're God and you are by far more offended. And that doesn't mean that the offense doesn't hurt and that doesn't mean that the wrong isn't true. And it doesn't mean that forgiveness won't be costly, but can we trust God to be just in all of our situations of life? and merciful in all of our situations of life and really leave the results up to him and say, God, you've called me to forgive someone and so I will. That's where we start getting at the heart and the motivation behind why it is what we do and why we pray so fervently. And when you fast, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. We're gonna get back to that, that's incredible. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face but that so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. He will reward you. When you fast, don't go around looking gloomy and disfiguring your face to be seen by others. Can you, can I, does anybody else get the mental picture? Like that's that's correct. Like they're disfiguring their faces. I don't know what exactly that means. Like well, how exactly that looked. I know what it means. I just don't know how it looked. Like, Do they suck in their cheeks? Mmm. Mmm. What you doing? Fasting. Oh. Mmm. Making a big show about their fasting. Not, not anointing themselves with oil and washing their face. They're not bathing. Walking around just all smelly with bedheads, Sucking in their cheeks going, I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. <laughs> it's for the Lord, you know walking around like that what i love about this and this is this is where i've like fell, i fall in love with the bible because i love the bible so much and 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 when people talk about the bible and they're talking about different things in their life and they're like oh the bible they said they said oh the bible that's out of touch and that's that's a cultural thing from two thousand years ago and has nothing to say to us about our culture and our humanity now because we've evolved so much and that thing is archaic that's another big word that i learned i just want to sound smart right there um it's it's archaic and it's old right but what I love about this is, over two thousand years ago, Jesus is addressing humble bragging. He's addressing humble bragging. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm starving. Mm. It's figuring your face. Man, what's gotten into Steve's face? Looks like he's fasting or something, or his neck threw up. I don't know what was that. Man, alive. Here's the thing. And this is something that we need to know. Selfie culture existed long before there was selfies. Okay? And this is really, really important because there's people in here and generations, we're of all different generations, and if you're over the age of like 35, it's really easy to like look down on the generations past and the younger generation will go, oh, they're just all about themselves and they're into their phones and they're, they're all, they just all want to make it about themselves. Listen, the reality is this, humanity's always been wanting to make something about themselves. And the selfie lens did not create a culture. The selfie lens just scratched an itch we all already had. So popular, right? Like, it wasn't like, oh, we have this picture to take care of. We have have this lens that takes pictures of ourselves now. I guess we're going to be self-centered. It's like, no, we already are self-centered, so let's make a lens that does that. And we have... From times past, like we're not as different as we'd like to think we are, even though generationally we might have grown up in different decades. Because it still remains the fact that we want to be seed for our spiritual activity. We want to be seen as important by how spiritual we are. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. No, I couldn't possibly eat. I'm fasting. Wow, you're so spiritual. You're like, I know, I know I am, right? That, that's the idea, like, this idea that it's like we want to make it about ourselves. And fasting, fasting is the thing, it's like, the, it's like one of the things that's like to show you it's not about you. Fasting is one of the most humble things you can do. Why? Because you're not going to go very long when you realize that you need food. Like you're not as self-reliant as you think you are. You can't make it more than a few days without bread or whatever, right? You can't make it very far without food. That's how weak we are as a, human, as a human race. We can't just make food ourselves and we can't just sustain ourselves without having something put into our bodies to nourish us. We are dependent upon that. That's what Fasting should humble you. And fasting is about giving up something that is good to focus on something that is most important. God, I'd rather have a relationship with you than food. You are more important to me than food. And we take that hunger, when we fast, we take that hunger and we use it, we use that hunger to remind us that we're hungering for something deeper, a relationship with God. And so why do, we, why do we give? Why do we give to the needy? Is it because we want to communicate to the world the generous heart of God? Do we want to be imitators of our Father who's been so generous to us? Is that why we give? Or is it because we want to make much of ourselves? When we pray, is it because we want to talk to the God of the universe who's listening to us? Or is it because we want to make much of ourselves? And when we fast, is it because we want to like hunger and use that hunger to remind us of the deeper hunger of connection with God that is so vital, important? Do we want, is that why we fast? Or do we fast to make others think that we're more spiritual? Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If that's all you want, that's all the reward you're gonna get. But if you really want to connect with the Father, then don't make a show of it. And don't be about making it all about you. And when we do, because this will happen, when it happens and hypocrisy creeps into our life, confess it. Confess it to the Lord in that moment and repent of it. Because in those moments, you might be praying something and you're like, oh, that was so good, that was gold, I hope everybody was listening. Oh, wait, no, Lord, that was about me. I'm just gonna stop and confess that right now, that's about me. Lord, please forgive me and continue to shape me. Confess and repent immediately. Because the more we do that, the more he shapes us and the more he shapes us, the more joy we have, the more reward it is to be connected to the Father and the more we become like him. And our Father will say, well done, and it's nice to see you. Let the rhythms of our lives be shaped by the giver of life. Let's pray.